Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 140. Today we are talking about hot topics. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the teaching week, discuss some ideas on our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in or out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And it's that time where we talk about our highs or lows from the teaching week, which we've actually had because we've been in school for a couple of weeks now. Um, Yeah. So Carrie, we're back at school. It's the start of the year. I mean, you know, the school year, which is essentially in my world and your world, the start of the year. How is it going? What's a high or low you'd like to discuss? Um, just like a general great big high for year two at a school. I mean, of course, we know this because we've done this before. But just a reminder that year two at a school is like exponentially better than year one because you know the kids names, you generally know the school's routines and procedures, you know, your team, you know, your you know, your principal, you know, your parents, you know, the vibe. So I'm just feeling so settled in this year versus last year being the new kid on the block. So just a reminder, if it's your first year or your first year at a new school that's new to you. um, Yeah, it's hard in the first year. I felt like I was working a lot harder last year than I am this year, (laughs) just because I feel a lot more calm and collected about starting the year. I know where the kids are at, like that's huge, you know, so Okay, so another high I want to share that's kind of professional and personal is just last weekend, I presented for you folks, which is the Utah Fellowship of Local Kodai Specialists. I did a workshop for them called Keep Them Singing, Keep Them Playing. We had a fantastic group of teachers come out live and in person, and it was just so fun to sing and play. It was really great, like beginning of the year songs and activities, and I got really great feedback, and everyone was just so warm and friendly. Well, I didn't get to spend a lot of time in Salt Lake, did get to spend a tiny bit of time there with some Kodai friends. So thank you to anyone who was there. Just want to say, if you're listening to this podcast in real time, when it comes out, um, that it's not too late to register to watch the recording. They did a recording that's going to be available for a couple of weeks. So I'll be sure to link to the you folks website where you can still register to get the recording. So if you don't live anywhere near somewhere where I might be presenting anytime soon, that might be a good option. Um, Also, I have a couple of upcoming presentations I just want to quickly mention. So on September 9th, I'm going to be presenting for SNAKE. That's Sierra Nevada Association of Kodai Educators. So that's in the Reno area. Going to be presenting on September 9th from just 9 to noon, just a three-hour workshop. Same workshop I did in Utah, but a shortened, condensed version of it because of the shorter workshop time. So keep them singing, keep them playing lots of songs and games. Great for the beginning of the year, especially. And then a couple weeks later, same thing in Arizona. So Arizona Kodai Teachers Society on September 23rd, that's going to be in the Phoenix area. And that one's going to be nine to one. So if you are in the Reno area or the Phoenix area, I would love to see you at those workshops. I'm really excited to be in those spots. All right. That's all for me, Tanya. What's new with you? Highs, lows, everything in between. Um, Yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, so school year started. I have a student teacher this year. Yay. And um, had I known uh, back in the spring of the timing of all the things that is are hitting in my life. I mean, some of these things I knew, some of them I didn't. So as I've discussed before, I've recently moved um, from Denver to Broomfield and I have a much shorter commute now, which is great. And my um, my kid, my husband, they have a much shorter commute. We moved our oldest to college uh, two days ago. So all the feelings are happening. Anyway, so major move because we hadn't moved for over 20 years my husband and I have been in the same the same house um major move moved a kid to college another kid started high school and I took on a student teacher okay so if I had known all these things were going to hit at the same time I might have you know I don't know planned better but you have to just sometimes go with 
you know, it's, I can't, I can't make all the things happen exactly when I want them. Anyway, all that to say, I am very appreciative of uh, my student teacher, Richie. She is doing a fantastic job. She is already jumping in and uh, not a small thing. She is dealing and very patient with my lack of um, organization because school starting has been honestly kind of on the back burner in my life. And like you just said, it is my second year at this school, but really I've been there a little bit uh, part-time before my first year teaching there. But anyway, yes, it is much easier, thankfully, because it's not been like center stage in my life because other things, you know, putting the bed together so you can sleep at night, that kind of takes precedence in my life. Um, getting the kid to college so they can, you know, be in the dorm, start classes, that kind of takes precedence. Anyway, Richie has been wonderful and very helpful and um, accommodating of my kind of hot mess. Uh, this is what's happening. And I know you don't live in my brain, but just like, you know, watch what happens and follow along kind of thing. Right. So anyway, all that to say, thank you, Richie, for being so very understanding. And um, she's just been wonderfully prepared. Um, she is able to assist when needed, but also I think she's going to be a fan test. I mean, she already has taught a bit. And she is already on her way to being a fantastic music educator. And boy, her flexibility and patience is unbeat. And I'm so excited for her. And I do love working with student teachers. I really love it when they're this prepared and this, um, you know, put together and understanding and able to just be flexible because I like to be organized, but sometimes it doesn't uh, happen. Yeah. Life gets in the way. Hey, I was, while you were talking about that, that reminded me, I was going to give us a shout out, Tanya, because we have some podcast episodes. Maybe one would help you, Tanya. No, I'm just kidding. Um, episode (laughs) nine, episode 99 was actually our dear cooperating teachers episode where we give tips and advice for people who are welcoming student teachers into their classroom. Not to say you don't already know these things, but you know, well, um, yeah. Past me. I should go listen to pot past me. And, and exactly. follow my we had great ideas back then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then if you are a student teacher, dear listener, or are going to be one soon, episode 102 is for you, dear student teachers. So yeah, we have, we have episodes tailored for both sets of those folks, but having a student teacher is great. It's a lot it of is. work. For I promise people. I know what I'm doing. It just doesn't look like it right this minute because no. there's a lot of things. You're, I'm, it'll be great. I'm sure. Yes. So now it is time for our main theme, which we are calling Hot Topics, which we like to say. Hot Topics. Hot Topics. Um, Also reminds me of the store in the mall, you know, which I never shopped at. So that was past my time even. My Um, kid loves that store. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I like it uh, now, but I'm not for myself, for other people. Anyways, (laughs) um, so here's what Hot Topics is. Tanya and I both teach levels programs in the summer. This past summer, Tanya taught in Colorado. I taught in Seattle and we're a big fan of Padlets. You know, Padlets are like digital parking lots where people can ask questions and respond to one another and things like that. Parking lots, like, you know, the kind of thing you would use in a meeting where you put sticky notes on it. Um, But it's really handy in a levels teaching course specifically because there's so much content we have to get through in a levels teaching course. And uh, oftentimes participants have questions that come up and it's like, oh, hey, how do you handle this thing? Oh, hey, how do you incorporate this thing? And we want to make sure that we get to those hot topics at some point, but we don't want to derail from like, no, but we have to talk about Titi right now. So let, let's come back to that later. So anyhow, Tanya and I both have hot topic padlets that we give to our students where students can ask questions throughout the course. And I try to make sure I circle back to them. And if not, I answer the questions, you know, digitally at least. Um, So what we did was we looked back at some of our past hot topics boards and just kind of looked at some of those questions that it's like, especially as a Kodai inspired teacher, but as any music teacher, how do you handle this thing, that thing, or the other thing? So we kind of picked a couple of common ones that we saw on both of our boards and we're just going to talk through them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we're labeling this hot topics part one, because I'm looking at my hot topics uh, parking lot for my past this past summer. And I think there's like 15 on here. Yeah. Um, and these are common things that come up. Um, some of these we've done entire podcast episodes on. So um, I've dropped that link in my hot topics. Uh, I hope my former students don't get annoyed at me because I just like, here's a link, go listen to this. Well, right. We talk about it for an hour. <laughs> things like, you know, what do I do for um, a program if I don't want to do a canned musical? Yeah. We have a whole thing about that. And here's where I should be mentioning what number episode that is. But yeah. Um, we don't have it in front of us or yeah, like mine asking us, about yeah. stations. How do you incorporate stations? Exactly. We, we did a whole thing about that. that, but we did pick three that, um, come up often. Yeah. And these also come up when I do workshops out and about these come up as well. Absolutely. So these are good things worth talking about. So let's jump in. Yeah. Um, learning targets or, um, I will statements or I can statements or, um, whatever, whatever branding of Kool-Aid that administrators, uh, jumped on, I don't know how many years ago it was now. It was, it was a few years ago and it has remained, um, a thing, at least in our district. And that's the idea of when students walk into your classroom, you have a, you should have a statement on the board saying, I will learn this thing today. And depending on your administration, it might be, I will do blah, 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 or I am learning blah, 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 or I can do this thing, right? So it's still alive and well in our district. It's still alive and well in my district. Um, I don't have a common thing throughout our district though, correct? Not through our district, but I know that Most my administration- schools. Yeah. Um, my, my school in particular likes to see I can statements. Okay. Right. My administrator, my school doesn't seem to care about the format, but what she has said that she cares about, which makes sense is don't just have it like on your first slide in your slideshow presentation. And then it goes away. It should yeah, have it be so in a, can... posted in a way that students see it throughout the entire lesson and can check in with it. Um, okay. you know, for what it's so worth. So let's kind of talk about the elephant in the room and why this comes up. Yeah. In a Kodai inspired classroom and within ORF and Delcro's methodologies or philosophies, the idea of the discovery of what we're learning is very valuable. Mm -hmm. And that is a driving force in many music education philosophies is not that you tell the kid, you're gonna learn how to read quarter notes and eighth notes today. You instead give them many experiences, musical experiences, preferably active music making and um, participating in moving, singing, playing instruments, improvising, composite, all those things which um, we're, we're being musical. And then you pull out the learning and say, by the way, when your feet were going running, 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 as opposed to walk, 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 walk. Now we're going to put a label on it. It's this, it's the walk were quarter notes or ta, 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 or do, 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 or, you know, whatever. Um, so that in every music education philosophy that that I am familiar with, that is a valuable piece is when the students come to the understanding from their experiences in the music room, right? That's not, that's the antithesis of kids walking in the room and looking at the board and saying, okay. I am going to learn how to read rhythms with quarter notes and eighth notes. So this is the problem that we have had, we have encountered. I will tell you that I made the attempt many years ago with a, with a principal who is no longer, you know, who is retired, um, that I did try to fly my Kodai flag and say, okay, hey, this, is, this doesn't go along with my teaching philosophy because it takes away the discovery, which is where the learning happens. And she wasn't buying it. You're like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Now, and, and she did. And I mean, honestly, you know, the conversation, it, it just felt like it went 
nowhere because really um, what it boiled down to was, yes, but our district says to do this, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't think is the best reason to do something, right. you know, and, and, and she honestly, and I understand she, she really didn't want to get into the philosoph- philosophical um, cornerstones of why are we doing this? Right. Cause it's messy. Right. Right. And the district has said, we do this. So we do this. Okay. So I kind of gave up that I kind of gave up, you know, plus you get a new administrator every three to five years and that's just how things go. And I understand that too, because you couldn't pay me enough to be an administrator. Um, So I get that that is the um, expectation. And so we just, we meaning me and probably Carrie and many other awesome teachers I know, we just do a, um, we, we satisfy that with a kind of workaround, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I also mention too, before we lead into that, what you were about to say is I think the other problem to this, which also becomes the solution to this is especially in, I'm going to say a Kodai inspired class, mm-hmm. we're not just focusing on one thing. In most Kodai-inspired lessons, we are doing something rhythmic and doing something melodic in the same lesson. And generally, one of those is in the preparation phase where we're not naming it and we're in that discovery phase. But the other one is in the practice phase where we have named it, we do have the symbol, and we're working with it in a more concrete way. Also, we're generally not doing those things 50-50 equal percentage of the time. We're typically spending more time on one, be it the prep or the practice, than the other, depending on when you have presented those things. So like, for example, if you're about to present it in the next lesson, you're spending a lot of time on that final prep and a little bit of time on practicing something old or vice versa. If you just presented something in your last lesson, you're spending a lot of time on that initial practice of it and a little bit of time prepping the next thing. So all that to say, my workaround, and this is maybe what you were going to say, Tanya, is I really write my learning targets most of the time around what we're practicing. Exactly. Right. And I think one can get really tied up in knots because of what you just already stated about these, we're, we're practicing many things and I'm not going to state a lot of things in my learning target. Right. Um, And we also don't want to give it all away. Because the unconscious learning that is happening in whatever you're about to present, you don't want to, um, you don't want to kill that discovery piece. So yes, exactly what you said. I focus my learning target language on something that we have already, that's something that we are practicing. Now, when you were just talking about, if it's the day before I'm about to present something, or maybe it's. Uh, within the the week, because honestly, I'll take a learning target and I'll write up there and I will stick with that same learning target for like five days in a row. But what about if you've changed from prep to present then? Well, yes, then it'll change. So, um, so let's say it is the day before we are, or even that day that we're going to be giving names to making conscious that music that melodic or rhythmic element i would use my prep language so mm-hmm. let's say it's tan tt i would say i will read play notate rhythms with long and short short and then right after we present it i'm going to call them ta and tt so i'm only changing the vocabulary ta and tt Right. So if I had to do it for something that I'm prepping, because if the administrator is going to walk in the room and it's the day before, they are going to notice that 70% of my time is being used towards this unconscious learning of ta and tt. And I don't want them to say, hey, wait a minute. I didn't see a lot of so me. I, I saw like only 30% of that. Okay. But let's be real. No one has ever said that to me. No, I have have never had an administrator come back at me and say, okay, well, your learning target said this, but I also saw that you did some work on form. And I also saw that you were doing some work on dynamics. And I also saw that you, they've never even those. And I have had a couple of administrators who were originally trained music teachers. None of them have ever said 
hey, but what about the time when you talked about brass instruments? Like no one's ever said, oh, I need to see a learning target for every single thing that you're teaching. Yeah. Right. We want the big picture. I think the conversation with administrators that you have before or after the observation, if that did come up, equates itself to like, you know, if you're a math teacher, oftentimes you're doing a math warm up where you're reviewing some past learning before you go into some new learning, you know, so I just equate it to that, like, oh, that was just a part of our warm up, or this closing activity seemed unrelated to the main learning target because I'm setting them up for something in a future lesson. And usually right. just even that much is more than enough to satisfy if they are curious why I was doing something that didn't seem like it was explicitly attached to the learning target. Yes. Um, and as far as like the specifics on when you look at it and where it is at, what I do is I happen to have a lot of whiteboard space in my room and the kids are facing that way. So I have like two whiteboard panels that I dedicate to learning targets. And I have, I have like kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And I have a little colored target, you know, some something clip arty thing that I, I found. And I have colors that are connected to each grade level. And I label it to like first grade and there's a target and there's an arrow going towards it, little picture. And then I write out my I can statements. Um, when kids come in the room, I do have my first slide, like you mentioned, and my slide deck. My first slide has the same exact language and the same exact thing. So I might have it on the uh, Mimeo board, smart board, and the kids see it as they come in. Um, honestly, when an administrator rock walks in the room, I do refer to it more often. Hmm. I do like pause and go, oh, and this connects to, you know, oh, we were just moving. We were moving to long and short, short, or I, I try to finagle it where I, I have a kid um, say it. So why are we doing this kids? And my, my students right now, um, well, I can't say right now because it's the beginning of school year, but last year it was really, really cool. Cause the kids, uh, they, they would connect it back to the learning target. If I asked them in the right way, then they would be able to like, look at the learning target and go, oh, hey, we're doing it this. It's funny because I never had the conversation with my students, but I had a couple of times last year where administration was in my room and the kids, maybe they were trained by another teacher. Thank you, other teacher. The kid, like I had a kid who raised his hand and said, hey, we're doing this. And they tied it back to the learning target. I did not even prep them. I don't know what special sauce happened, but thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and that was pretty awesome because it actually happened when not just the principal came in, it was the principal, the vice principal, and the area superintendent came in the room unannounced. And my fifth graders, they were awesome. They just, they first of all, they rolled with it with having like all these extra people. And secondly, they were like, look at us, we're learning music. Oh, we can put tie it back to this learning target. Anyway, um, all that to say, yes, I do have it posted in the room. It's easy for me to write up. Before, when I did not have whiteboard space, I would print it out and I would like make it the font that specific color. And I had a place where I had a little sheet protect protector thing hung up and I would just stick the new learning target in there. Um, so that's how I rolled with that. Yeah, and that's how I do it. So I do have whiteboard space, but I just hate handwriting things. Um, so I have like a running Google Doc where I will, you know, type up and print the current learning target for the week. And for my kids, I see them in a three-day rotation. So typically it'll stay the same for three days, but not always because the way that I write my learning targets is something like, for example, if we're practicing ticka ticka, 16th notes, it mm -hmm. would say, I am learning about rhythm and music by singing, reading, and hmm, rhythms with ticka ticka. So the last hmm is typically whatever, like, 
their um, assessment's going to be, whether it's a formative right. or a summative assessment. So singing and reading is pretty much always there. Like there's rarely a lesson where we're not going to be singing songs that contain the rhythm or decoding. But like, for example, if we were going to do a dictation activity, then I would say by singing, reading, and writing rhythms with Tikka Tikka. If they were doing a composition activity where they were writing a rhythm and seesaw and then recording themselves, I would say singing, reading, and composing rhythms with Tikka Tikka. So I will say that actually my, my learning targets do change fairly often because of that last piece. And I try to be specific about like, what is the visible assessment? And honestly, that's more for me than it is for administrators. I know a lot of music teachers who knock this whole process of learning targets, but the one reason why I've stuck to it for myself is it really clarifies for me for every single lesson, what are the kids doing? What is the visible thing where I'm going to know that they get it, you know? And if it's just singing and reading, it's kind of hard to tell if individual kids are getting it. But if it's singing, reading, and something else that they're doing individually, whether it's with manipulatives or doing a um, Q&A improvisation, playing instruments, you know, those kind of things. So, well, yes, no, and I, I agree. I often change that last bit as well, which yeah. is just like, I don't even erase the whole statement. I erase that little bit exactly. because today we're taking it to instruments and we are doing an improvisation with this rhythm where they get to play any from this pentatone. So yeah, I do zone in on, I am improvising and I yeah. want to make sure I use this language for me, yes, but also, um, you know, if this is a, if this is something that is expected from my district and my administration, I am really going to capitalize on making sure that if they walk in the room and that word is improvisation, I want to make sure that in my post or pre-observation, um, it's usually post because I don't get a pre-observation. They just come in when they come in. I want to be able to say, hey, look, we're improvising and look where this is on Bloom's and look where this is on our um, deeper understanding model, right? I'm going to, if they're going to insist that we play these, this game, and I, I understand where that comes from, then yeah, I can totally go there. And I can show you that this is some deeper learning than what we might have had when we just learned, you know, early practice of this concept. So I, I appreciate you saying that that does guide you as the teacher. And I, I understand that. Um, if it were up to me, would I do learning targets all the time? Probably not. What about you? I mean, I kept doing them even when I wasn't asked to. And at my <laughs> new I don't mean to say that in that way, but it truly, when I, and I write it on my lesson plan. So it's like every lesson plan I write has a number. Like this is third grade lesson plan sure. 12 of the year, right? And then when I write my learning target and I print it out, I just write on the bottom, you know, what lesson that, that target corresponds to. And then that way I keep those targets so I can repeat them for each grade right. level. Once the last class of that grade level has done it, then I toss it, you know, because it's like a single piece of paper for each learning target. So sure. anyways, all that to say, what was my point? When I'm writing it on my lesson plan, it's like if my learning target's really kind of lame, then I feel like I need to fix something in my plan. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I see that. Okay, well, can I put you on the spot then? Yeah. So let's say, oh, um, okay, let's go to second grade. Let's it, say it's second grade and you are in early prep of uh, do and you are practicing. Do you do half note or do first or second? Which... Depends on the year. Um, this okay, year, well, let's half, say. Most of the time half note first. Most of the yes, time. me as well. Let's, so let's say you're practicing half note and you are prepping do mm -hmm. and it's early prep of do. Yeah. So what is your learning target going to read? So if it's early prep of dough, most likely I'm doing gonna focus on the half practice note. of half notes. So then in yeah. that case, it would be, I am learning about rhythm by reading, writing, and whatever rhythms with half notes. So let's say we're doing an ORF ensemble where we're playing the ding, ding, dong, ta, ta, tu on a barred instrument. Then I would say reading, writing, and playing rhythms with two or half note, however you want to say it. If it was a later prep of dough, like where I'm literally going to be presenting it within the next couple lessons, so the bulk of my lesson now is on dough, I would say something like, I am exploring, it's oftentimes oh, used that word, I am exploring melody in music by singing, identifying, and 
and then it depends on what we're doing. So like if, if what we're doing is like we're decoding icons on the staff that are showing high, middle, and low to show so me do, I would say something like singing, um, identifying, and representing high, middle, and low sounds in music. So like maybe they're showing being body signs. They're using body signs to show me high, middle, and low, and that's uh-huh. how I know they're getting it. Then mm-hmm. I would say something like that. So you would get that specific about the body signs? I wouldn't say the body signs in the learning target, but in my lesson, I know that the learning, so the learning target would be, I am exploring melody and music by singing, identifying, and demonstrating high, middle, and low sounds in music. And to me, demonstrating means they're doing something physically to show me the high, middle, and low sounds. All right. How's that sound? That's fine. Um, Yeah. My, my language that in my building that we use is. I can. Yeah. Because. Right. Right. So it's a little bit different. What are the kids doing? Yeah. Yes. Did you want to throw me one or or do you want me to throw you another one? Uh, No, no. I, but I did want, I mean, do you want to show off? Do you want me to give you another one? Not necessarily. I I don't feel like my creation of learning targets is my strongest thing in the world. Well, And and again, so much of it depends on your building and what your building Mm -hmm. asks you of you. And, you know, but one thing I did want to circle back to is you talked about when your administrator walks in time in the room, because this yes. was another hot topic question that to what me. What do you do so when the administration walks in the room? Because, yeah, hopefully not much, exactly. not much changes. Yeah. yeah. If you wrote a great, I mean, you should be proud of the lessons you write. Like if you feel like you're hiding something, what are you doing? I mean, that, and I mean, I'll admit there are times where my administrator walks in. And I'm like, you're here on a goofy day because like, yeah. for example, if it's like a choice day that the kids have earned and we're playing singing games the whole time because they earned that, I explain that to my administrator, like they yeah. earned this choice day. But here's the thing. In my choice day, kids are still playing singing games. So it's still right. tied to music. My administrator loves it. They eat it up. They're usually like, wow, look at all this student choice and agency and how you've built exactly. this community. So it's like, don't be afraid if your administrator walks in and you're doing something kind of different just if you can't explain why very succinctly then maybe you shouldn't be doing that thing like right. if you're watching yeah. you know musicals for two weeks mm-hmm. out of your year you know videos. oh no stop lady in the tramp because the administrator why exactly. oh kids put those kazoos away i don't know but yeah but no maybe you're doing kazoos because it's teaching them about high and low and breath control yeah, i mean maybe all right but the point is yeah when an administrator walks in i'm not changing what i'm doing now I will, administrator, say- I will say that no okay so i'm not changing i'm not changing everything on the dime no. of course however when an administrator walks in am i going to refer to my learning target a little bit more absolutely uh-huh. am i going to call attention to it a little bit more yes 100%. um yeah and i have had also administrators uh, not not lately, but I have had administrators who also want to see a success criteria yeah. attached to the learning target, which is just I know I am successful, um, but it's it's kind of redundant. I feel the the success criteria because it just you're, the learning target says I can do the thing, and the success criteria is I know I'm successful when I can do the thing. When I do the thing. When I do. And, the and it thing. could get technical with a rubric. Well, but you can say I know I'm successful when I can do the thing um on the barred instrument. I mean, I guess you could put in specifics about accuracy. But the thing is, if they knew the specifics, they would know the thing. I know. Is the problem, right? So, if they knew that to be successful, they have to have x y and z, if they already knew that, then I don't, I mean, it, it's just, it's, who is that for exactly, exactly? Right. I mean, that's something that you could point out within your lesson plan. Yeah. Right. And you could pull that out when you're talking to your administrator. Is it necessary for the kids to know those details? Well, if they knew that and they could do that, then why am I teaching? All right. So we, wow, we spent a lot of, of time on that hot topic. But... I know that was a super hot topic. Yes. All right. Moving on. Moving on. We have two more that we're going to nip in the bud. Maybe we can be quicker on the next two. So someone has asked in both of our hot topics, and again, it comes up in workshops, how do you deal with turn-taking when it comes to singing games, taking turns in activities, instrument turn-taking? I think the short answer is I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
Um, I teach my students from a very young age, kindergarten on up. I literally just talked to my kindergartners about this yesterday because we were doing Me a vocal too. exploration activity where I called students up to the smart board. They drew a line and we sang it, you know, and I'm like, does everybody get a turn every day? No. If you don't get a turn, will you maybe get one another day? Yes. And we move on. And I tell you, 99% of the time, I don't get kids who throw fits. Now, of course, occasionally you have a neurodivergent student, a student who has special emotional, social emotional needs, who needs a little bit more help and understanding of this. And I have had some students where that one individual student, I will talk to them in the hallway and I will say, today you are going to get a turn in this activity, fill in the blank but you will not get a turn in the other activities so that I can give other students a chance. And I make sure they know when their turn is gonna happen and when it's not gonna happen. And But that's a, an accommodation for an individual student. For most students, they don't need that, they understand. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit kind of mentality and we move on with life. Are you kind of the same, Tanya? Samesies, um, yes. I established from the beginning and like you mentioned just this past week with kindergartners, I was very clear about, hey, we're doing this fun thing. And we had four people who got to be the grizzly bear. Not everybody gets to take a turn for everything, every class period. Sometimes you get a turn and sometimes you don't, right? There are a few activities that I make sure everybody has a turn for. And I'll mention them right now. When I do snail snail with the parachute. Samesies. Uh-huh. I make sure every kid gets a turn. Why? Because I have had middle schoolers come back to me and say, do you remember when we did snail snail? I never got a turn. And I don't want to be sued for someone's therapy in a few years. You know? Uh -huh. um, anyway, no, just because it's a very fun thing. Snail snail you with the parachute clarify game. what you're doing with the parachute because yes. there are some people who might not know. That does not mean that everybody gets a turn in one class period because, oh my, no. But what I do is I draw a big picture of a snail on my whiteboard. And how it goes is if you get to be in the middle of the parachute for snail snail, then when you get out of the parachute and it's the next person's turn, you go write your name inside the picture of the snail. And I take a picture of that snail with all the names and I write on it Monday, Mrs. Harris's kindergarten. And so I then put that photo in my slide deck. And the next time Mrs. Harris's class walks in, then we can say like when Ethan goes, Oh, I never had a turn. Then you, everybody, all the kids go, but Ethan, your name's up there. You wrote your name. You yep. had a turn. So for snail snail, everyone has a turn. Do for pause pop, for a minute. Pause, pause for oh, a minute. Do you want okay. to tell people what the parachute activity is? Because some people might not know. I can even post um, a video. Okay. It. Let's just do that. And okay, involves we'll kids sitting in the parachute, you wrap them up, you spin them around, it's like they're like the snail shit, like the parachute is the snail shell. Super yes, normal. The parachute is the snail snap snail shell. Everybody gets a tiny little ride. Um, everybody loves it. All yeah. right. Thank you. Okay. Moving on. So <laughs> moving on. So yeah, snail snail, everybody gets a turn. Pop pop patch, which I know is not a favorite of a lot of people. Um, I don't genderize pop pop patch. We've taken out um pretty little Susie and I have the kids come up with an adjective that is two syllables. And so it might be um, a funny little whoever it is. So I don't do a boy's line and a girl's line. I just do a long way set and it might be boys. It's boys and girls mixed together. And so we go, where, oh, where is funny little Brody? Where, oh, where is funny little Brody? You know, come on all, let's go find them. Come on all, let's go find them. Mm -hmm. Um picking up papas, putting them in their pockets, which is a lot to say. Anyway, so I have the kids come up with an adjective instead of pretty little Susie. We have, you know, funny little fill in the blank, funny little Evan, funny little Dora, well, whoever it is. And I make sure everybody gets a turn in pop pop patch eventually because singing students' names is very powerful and everyone should get to feel that joy. Yep. So, um, I'm trying to think, are there other ones that every single person has a turn? Really? Those are the two that come to mind. I think that's it. 
Yeah, honestly, for me, it's just snail snail. I haven't even done that with Paw Paw Patch, but um, I like that. I mean, um, when we do games where there's a solo singing opportunity, like categories, then everybody just inherently gets a turn because it's yeah. very quick because they're singing two notes. You know, And there's times where I want everyone to get a turn in like a solo singing game because it's an assessment, which then leads us to our next question so exactly. beautifully. So oh, um, somebody asked about assessment, but particularly data tracking. So like we have a whole episode on assessments, right, Tanya, about types. Oh, yes, we do. And but where really, is our affiliate link for iDokio? Because we need to get that going. Really? So that's what this is. This is about how do you actually write down the data. Tanya and I are big fans of the app iDokio, spelled little I, big D. O-C-E-O. Some people say Idocio, Idokio. I don't know what the correct answer is. I don't either, but they need to pay us because <laughs> we have sold me. Music Ed Font and Idokio. They should, that should be our, uh, we don't have affiliates. We haven't figured that out. Folk Manus. Folk Manus, Idokio, <laughs> Music Ed Font. Um, yeah, we're, we're just, you know, that's fine. Anyway. So it's a really fantastic app. It does cost money. I think last I checked, it was like $13, but it's worth every penny. Yeah. Worth every penny. Um, But it allows you to do all sorts of data tracking. I love that you can have um, like a score, a percentage. It can be a check mark. It can be a yes, no. You can use icons. Like there are so many different ways. And like you can assign those things to different numbers. So like a check equals a three, a minus equals a two. You know, like you can can customize it in so many ways. It's almost overwhelming. You kind of just have to find a system that works for you. At the end of the semester, try or whatever you can get it to average your grades you can create folders with an idokio so since like in our district we have to give like a performance grade that's singing and playing instruments a theoretical grade a composition grade and then last one is like evaluation of music evaluation, whatever yeah, everyone yes. gets a three for that i mean there's kind of like not a lot of ways to deviate but for the ones that are more concrete i do have like a folder and then it will automatically average those grades out so then when it's time for me to do report cards i don't have to sit and calculate it's already done it for me and i yep. can just go down the list and see all the kids who got threes okay these kids went above and beyond these kids twos um but it's just lovely and then yeah anytime i'm in a meeting with my principal and one of the evaluation criteria of me is how do you keep track of data? I always bring my iDokio app and I said, oh, here's an example of first grade. She's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I'm like, I know, exactly. but it's fantastic. Yes. Um, I really enjoy the grade book as well. Um, in kindergarten, I really um, use the icons. So I preload the icons for in-tune singing. And so I'm very deliberate about like, putting in a column of their singing, so and me in a greeting in the key of D major, right? For example, or I'll just put a common starting pitch. But anyway, I'll color it. I, I color things that are melodic blue, mm-hmm. things that are rhythmic red. Like, so that's great to be able to, you know, use colors to sort that. Yeah. And so I'll use like a green plus for in-tune singing, a red minus for flat, a blue plus for being sharp and a frowny face for no response <laughs> and, right. a, and an X for a talking voice. So I, it's great because I can just at a glance look and see, oh, look, I've got a lot of talking voices at the very first three times that we did this singing response in this key. And now look, I've got all of these green pluses. Oh, here's a blue plus, which means they're going to be singing in tune pretty soon if they're sharp. Um, So it's really great to be at a glance. I don't have to, I I love not having to look at numbers for some things. Something like in tune singing is a perfect example because I just can see, oh, look, red X, red X. Oh, blue plus, blue plus. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And other things that iDokio can do, there's um, a whole grade book section. So if you have pictures, you can upload pictures of your students, take a picture right in the app or upload them from yes. a folder if you have them. And then you can create seating charts. You can upload your own background to the seating chart. So like yes. I created an image in Google Slides and then uploaded that. So it shows my dot spots on the floor and just sticks exactly. their cute little faces right on it, quickly move. You can have multiple seating charts for each class. I, too. I love the multiple seating charts. I use yeah. that as well because Because like I have here we are in our normal dot spots and here we are in an arc while we're doing ukulele and here is some small groups and Mm -hmm. I can 
you know, scoot them around really quickly. And you can like grade kids within the seating chart. So like if you're doing a like call and response activity and you're going down the line, you can like put in their number while you're in seating chart mode. So like yes. you're going and you're not having to like search for the kid, you know, in your list. It's really Especially nice. when you're getting to know students, if you don't really know them well, that's very handy. Yeah. Um, you can also notate things like, oh, I sent this uh, child's parents an email. So there's like a little mailbox or a little email icon. So. Yeah, you can add images. So like if a student I have, if a student has to sit out of an activity because, you know, very disruptive or whatever, we do have like a reflection form they write. So I take a picture of that reflection form and I, I upload it to that student's like their day in music that day. So then later on, if the parent's like, what? You never told me that this happened. I'm like, oh yeah, they wrote this reflection form and it went home. Sorry, you never saw it, but here it is, you know? So it's <laughs> yeah. just really great for all things data. And then back to the turn taking thing, there is a spinner. So once you have all your students names in the class, you can do a spinner of the yes. students. And There's also a random picker that is like yeah. uh, within the seating chart yep. where you can roll a dice and someone's name will come up. And if you put on the voice preference, um, it'll say that kid's name. So I, know. I just like turn that off though, because sometimes it says it wrong. And then that leads I know. to something. This is true. I just I tell them, hey, all technology says my name wrong. I'm I'm sorry, kids, if it mispronounces your name. And but they think it's very funny. No, I know it is cute. But yeah, and for, again, for those you know neurodivergent students who struggle with that, sometimes like I hold up the spinner and I spin it, so they see it is random. You know, they can't accuse me of being like, but it never lands on me. You don't pick me. It's like no, this is a random spinner. But you can set it then, like you can remove kids from the spinner as they get a turn. So then it exactly, won't yeah. Twice, and then so. you can reset it for the next class period. Exactly. Yeah, I prefer using tech for choosing kids randomly so much better than the popsicle. I mean, I know people love to do write a name on a popsicle stick and when they get a turn, then put them in this jar. And, but I cannot take, I, I can't keep track of that. That's stuff. too much real estate in my classroom to have a couple of popsicle exactly. sticks for every kid. So no, I don't have that. I don't have All that right. kind of time. I don't have that room. All right. So that was mostly about data tracking. We were, we were not asked about assessments specifically because there's a whole podcast for um, that, if you would like to go and find that podcast on assessments, where we get into the nitty gritty of, you know, what we're assessing, how we're assessing the specifics of rubrics, but just simply about data tracking, Idokio, send us a few bucks or give me a, a free, I, I've got, like you said, it's one and done. You pay it for Idokio once and you don't pay for it again. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Hey, I have an idea. Uh, we could cut oh. this out later if you don't like it. Should okay. we post on the socials um, for people to ask us hot topics? Sure. And just see what comes of it. Because like you said, this was part one. I'm sure there'll be a part two. Well, well we have other hot topics. No, we our... do. But I'm also curious what listeners are wondering. Because they might want to ask us stuff too, Tanya. Okay, fine. Yes. And there but might if... be overlap, which will be interesting too. Don't you get know? your feelings hurt, Carrie, if nobody says anything. Oh, I know. We've done, I mean, we've done Q&A before and we've got mixed bag responses. But Yeah, because we're not. We're really not. We're not up on our socials because... We have uh, a I've life. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think I will. I will post it on the Instagram okay, let's do that. and on Facebook. We'll do that. Hey, everybody, what are some hot topics you'd like us to discuss? And it honestly might be, hey, we talked about this in episode such and such, and we point you in the right direction. Or it might be, hey, So it's an yeah. advertisement and a questionnaire. Exactly. Good job. Yeah. Well, this is what okay. happens when you've been podcasting for over five years, is we've talked about a lot. So not to yes. say we're not going to keep talking, but, you know. We'll Things send change. you to where we've already talked about it, but for sure. All right. Hot topics. And this is our no better do better segment where we talk about something to be aware of, um, knowing, uh, so you can do better and know everything that you should know. <laughs> everything. All Not about. everything. <laughs> Here's one thing. Carrie, what do you have? Okay. So um, a couple of summers ago, we read the fantastic book, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain by Zaretta Hammond for one of our summer book clubs. And, you know, this is 
a book that's not music ed specific, but an important book to read for all educators. Um, and, you know, the purpose of the book is not like a checklist of like, here are the things you do to be culturally responsive. Check, check, check. Now you're there. And it's also really, for me, it was a big aha moment of what culturally responsive teaching is. And it's not just about having diverse teaching materials. Yeah. In- yeah. Um, it's not even just about creating relationships with students, which although is very important and fundamental, it's really more about understanding how kids learn from a variety of culture groups. And a big part of that is like individualistic culture groups versus um, like collaborative culture groups where people do things in more of a community based and how here in the United States, we're extremely individualistic, but many cultures around the world, it's more about community. So how can you tap into that with teaching strategies in your classroom that pulls into that? And guess what? It's just good teaching for everybody too. You know, it's not like you're going to do this just for a certain group of your students. You're going to do this for everybody. So, you know, a big tenant of this is that, you know, this isn't the type of book where you just read it once, you get your checklist and move on, you come back to it. So I've been coming back to this book and just kind of doing some searching and Googling and, you know, of just some different ideas and strategies to incorporate. And I found this really great article in the Cult of Pedagogy website, which is also a really fantastic podcast, by the way. But this article was a guest written by Zaretta Hammond, who wrote uh, the book. And it's all the way back from 2015, but obviously still extremely relevant. And while she's not someone who's a proponent of checklists, she did give us three strategies. (laughs) And um, three strategies to make a lesson more culturally responsive. Again, it's not like you do this and you check in and you're done, but just three things to think about. The good news is while I was reading these three strategies, I was like, oh my gosh, once again, I'm reminded, well, there's many things that we as music teachers can improve on all the time and are still working on. We do so much right. And it just really like validated the fact that, you know, because of the nature of our classes, you know, especially if you teach within an active music making philosophy, we're already doing so much right. And this article just kind of gives me kind of some of that like backup to speak to it. But then it's just also a really great reminder if you're not doing these things or to do them more. So I'm going to link to the article, obviously, in the show notes so you can read it. But I will just tell you her her three strategies or tips. Number mm-hmm. one, gamify it. So how can you create games out of your activities? She talks in, in her example about a teacher who's teaching vocabulary and having rather than students sit and write definitions to vocabulary words individually at their desk with a dictionary, can you create a game like a matching type of game or an old maid type of game? I hate that term, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, So we did great (laughs) on that. Talk about stations. I mean, yeah, exactly. Stations popped into mind anytime we create games out of things. And I'm not just talking about like singing games, which are lovely, but I'm talking more about games to like practice specific concepts, Mm -hmm. flashcard games, all that kind of stuff. Um, poison pattern type games, you know, like, again, so many things were already doing it, but just really calling attention to the power of games because it gets your brain working and processing and it's fun and it's engaging. Um, her second tip is make it social. Again, oh my gosh, so much of what that we do music, in the music yes. class. But again, stations to me really popped up when students are working in small groups. We're really good in the music room at whole group instruction, but how can we give our students more ways to talk to one another, do small group, do like turn and talk with partners, you know, all of those types of things. Um, Because the more they talk, the more they're learning. And it's not just you, Sage, on the stage you know, departing your knowledge to them, right? Right. And then the last one was the one that I really just want to keep working on is storyify it, she calls it, adding storytelling into it. And the the fact that oral tradition is so important in so many cultures. And again, I feel like I'm really good at this with little kids, right? We can turn any lesson into a story about you know, how Lucy Lockett went down to the baker shop and while she was or there. Or you can talk about yeah. Sofa Street is a whole story that is memorable, you know, or Melody Street, whatever you use, if you use something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in her example, again, talking about vocabulary, it was having students create a story that used that vocabulary, right? And then bonus if they can do it collaboratively. So I'm really wrapping my head around for older students in particular, and not to like, you know, cutesy, 
babyish kind of stories, not for them, but really like tap into this idea of like oral tradition, storytelling, folk tales, and how to really weave those in and have students create their own stories, either using musical literature we're working on or weaving in concepts we're working on. Um, you know, just something to again think about. So I'll link to the article, read it. More importantly, read the book if you haven't. Um, yes. And just remember, first of all, what we're doing right, but then also challenge ourselves to, to keep moving forward and do even more. Can I give a bonus? Yes. Well, so um, I was excited when I saw you put this link there because uh, Cult of Pedagogy is an excellent podcast. Yes. In addition to, you know, the, these articles and um, there's shorter podcasts, which is just a teacher tip. And those are super useful, even though it's not music teaching specific. And so I am a regular listen, listener of Cult of Pedagogy. It's one of my favorite podcasts for teaching. Me too. And yeah, even though it's not music ed specific, it, it's so transferable to anything that you teach. So now it's time for a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, a little nugget of inspiration from Tanya today. Okay. All right. So um, this is about classroom management and okay. it's large group directed and it's a, I hate saying tip or trick because that implies that it's easy and it's not. I mean, this particular thing is easy, but um, it is a strategy and I learned it um, ugh, back in the last century, Carrie. Um, so I can't <laughs> even tell you, it might've come from Michael Grinder who uh, wrote this book called Envoy. And it's about um, non-verbal classroom management tri tricks, uh, strategies, mm -hmm. right? And so, and, and it came up, I was talking to my student teacher this week, it came up in class this week. So, you know that moment, and I don't have a name for it. So just listen, I guess, you know that moment where um, you've been playing a game or we're transitioning and um, they should be talking, right? And that's acceptable because it's like, con it's conducive to what we're doing, but it gets a little bit too loud and you need to get their attention again. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I know there are things like, you know, some echoing things that people like, like, I don't know, all kinds of like, Clapping, ta ta, ti ti ta, and the kids clap back, ta ta, ti ti ta, or a go, ame, or any of these Cute strategies things, yeah. where you call out something and the kids call out back, and then they're supposed to get quiet. Mm -hmm. Those work for a limited time. Yeah. And then you have to have new ones. I know that it's good to have some of those in your teaching uh, arsenal. Is yeah. that the right word? Whatever. Your, your tackle box of teaching tools. But one of the things that I've been doing for a really long time that, um, that, that works, uh, that I, you know, will pull out occasionally and I don't really think about it. I just do it, um, is when the collective noise, you, you will, if you just observe and listen and you watch, it'll get very loud. It'll crest. And then it'll fall, the, the noise will fall and get quieter and quieter and quieter. Mm -hmm. And just at that millisecond before it gets the most quiet that it's going to get, you say something a little bit louder. You project your voice and say, fifth graders now. And then you immediately start talking much softer. Mm, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a little strategy that I picked up a million years ago. Um, but timing, the timing is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you do it at the height of when everybody's really loud, then it just does not work. Um, but any room full of people that get loud, they don't stay loud. Right. They will fall again. So you just have to wait for that crest of sound to reach um, it's peak and then kind of dip, 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 and then get their attention, but don't continue to teach, to talk loudly. Over you that. have to drop your volume quieter so that they are forced to go, wait a minute, I can't hear what's going on. I'm going to stop talking. What, what did she say? So I don't know what to call that strategy. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, 
but can I add something to it? Because I've heard and I've, I've observed this with adult learners, I'm not so much sure about kid learners, that that crest in that fall actually typically happens twice. So oh. if, if you want them to have a longer conversation, and again, this works well for adult learners, sometimes it's like that, turn and talk to your partner. Okay, we talked about the thing and now we're done. Oh, right, yes. But if you allow like that space to, then the conversation then picks back picks up, up again. Yes, yeah, so if you want to encourage, exactly. So on the flip side, yeah. If you want to encourage more talking between them, then you're exactly right. Because yes, I have experienced this as well, that they will be like, well, I guess we're not done yet. So let's what else do we have to say? Now, it, let's be honest, how many times at a staff meeting or whatever, you that first crest is we're on ta task and talking about the thing we're supposed to. And then that second crest is really more like, so what you do over the weekend? This is true. Yeah, um, so true. I could see a double-edged sword to that. And maybe with kids, you just don't have time for that second wave. But anyways, it's an interesting phenomenon. Those waves. Well, and this is a fun thing to experiment with in your classroom. Yeah. Um, the tricky thing is that you you need actual live kids in the room it's not something right. that you can this is not a strategy you can practice until yeah. you're in the moment but you know give it a try i'd be curious oh, to see if anybody i've got a name for it tanya okay cool call it ride yeah. the wave that's that sounds interesting okay <laughs> right like surfing boogie boarding like you gotta ride the wave and then when it starts to like peter out that's when you get ready for the next thing. I don't know. Right. And I also bring this up because I know a lot of teachers talk about losing their voice at the beginning of the school year. Yeah. And so my big tips for that would be number one, don't sing with your students, sing for your students, not with your students. Once they catch the song, you back off, yep. put your hand over your mouth. If you need to, yep. you are not singing. It's about them, them, them. They should be singing, singing, singing. Um, so that would be number one to not lose your voice. But number two is things like this, where don't, shout over students because they model what you show. So if your energy and your volume is like loud and chaotic, that's exactly what you're going to get back. Right. So I never say I'm waiting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. In my nightmares, this is what I do in my nightmares. I say I'm waiting and I turn off lights. That's what I do in my nightmares. Yeah. Not good. But anyway, so yeah, try to ride the wave. Ride the wave. Uh-huh. And it's time to uh, mention, this is our CODA section, where we mention something that we've been enjoying in or out of the classroom, probably out of the classroom. We're very busy in the classroom. True. Yeah. All right. Well, this is something out of the classroom, but it's related to the classroom. So well, there is a podcast I have enjoyed listening to recently called the Happier Music Teacher Podcast with Beth Duhan. And really her niche is, you know, talking about teacher self-care, which is a triggering word in itself, but really like just strategies of how to manage time, how to manage your life in very realistic ways. Um, Beth and I actually went to the same undergrad. So hi, Beth, if you're listening. Um, but I just appreciate this podcast because, I mean, first of all, unlike ours, Tanya, it's short and it's succinct and to the point. And I just love how realistic Beth is. I appreciate her sense of humor. Um, and it's really just like, yeah, in a perfect world maybe you do this but here's like some real for real strategies um like over the summer she had some good ones um there was one in particular i really liked about like the nighttime like tidy up routine because it's yes. just something i really appreciate you know but now it's more like back to school how to how to take care of yourself physically mentally how to manage your time and your stress level so yeah. if you're looking for any tips like that even if you're like me where anytime someone sells self care i i roll my eyes and I'm like, Oh God, here we go. But no, this to me is like the perfect amount of no, for real. Here's some like just quick, simple strategies. Some of it I'm already doing some of it you're already doing, but maybe like tiny tweaks to your routine that could. And that's fun. always fun to go. Oh, Hey, I do that. Or, Oh, Hey, I'll try that. Yeah. yeah I've been listening as well. And, and I enjoy. Yeah. She's so thanks Beth. It's a great podcast. Sister. Happier music teacher. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yes. All right, Tanya, what you got? Well, I'm also going to recommend a podcast because, um, you know, as you know, I've moved and a lot of my time is spent with earbuds in as I carry boxes from one room to another or dig through things or pick up stuff. And um, it's tedious. 
thankfully I've got great podcasts to listen to. And I just binged um, the podcast, The Retrievals, which is a serial podcast that you can find on any podcaster app. And it is about a case uh, that came up against um, the Yale Fertility Treatment Center um, and a case in which uh, many women who were patients and who were going through fertility treatments were not given pain meds, specifically fentanyl, during the retrieval of their um, eggs. And then what happened after that and, and why that happened. And it's a little, you know, it's, if you're sensitive because um, of your personal experiences, maybe it's not a good listen, but it's, it's just fascinating. There's lots of themes running through it. Like, wow, why don't we take women's pain seriously? And wow, how could this kind of institution do this thing and not be held accountable and wow what was going on in this trial in, in the courtroom and, and not trial but um sentencing in the courtroom and anyway there's lots of things it's 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 very serious but it's it's very interesting a lot of food for thought it's called the retrievals okay. you're making eyes at me carrie like no i mean it's it's like a true crime kind of thing but not my type of brand of true crime but i'm interested would we call it this heavy? Crime? It sounds heavy, but important, like you said. So, yes, and I and I still listen to it as I, you know, was vacuuming and moving boxes. I mean, who so. am I to talk? You know what I listen to. So this is what exactly. I'm like. Anyway, I thought it was and fascinating. Also, when you said retrievals, do you know my my mind immediately? You were thinking about Kodai. Um, song There's a whole podcast retrievals. about folk song retrieval systems. Sweet, let me listen. If there was, we'd be there. <laughs> Actually, we would create it. We would. Oh, maybe. Hey, yeah. Let us know. Would you want a whole podcast about your retrieval system? No, we do not. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for the recommendation. You're welcome. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee. So look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.